La pendule fait tic-tac, tic-tic. Les oiseaux du lac, pic-pac, pic-pic. Glou, 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 font tous les dindons. Et la jolie cloche, ding, ding, dong. Mais boum, quand notre cœur fait boum, tout avec lui dit boum. Et c'est l'amour qui s'éveille. Hey, bonjour rugby friends and welcome to a new episode of French Rugby Connections. And uh, today I'm really, really pleased. I've got a special guest. I speak with Robin Oak, a top 14 rugby commentator. And I also speak with Bruce Rihanna, former player from New Zealand Saints and uh, Bordeaux Bègle. I hope you will enjoy my chats with them. Bonjour. Hello, bonjour. Bruce, how are you? I'm so happy you're able to join. I know you're a very, very busy man. Are you in Clifton? Clifton Rugby? Yes, Clifton Rugby Club, RSC. You know what? Many, many years ago, I used to teach French. I was a foreign language assistant teaching for QEH, just down the road. No way. Yeah, yeah. Small world, small world. It is, it is. I think Dave Perkins was a very important man there in terms of rugby, former rugby player from Bristol. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. I just had a camp today with 90 kids and it's it's been a huge success over the last three days. Wow, 90 kids. Tell me more about that. Well, we, we did it at Clifton RFC. We had ages 8 to 15. So we had uh, the youngsters working together from 8 to 11. And then we had the 12 to 15-year-olds working together. And we did three days. So one day of attack, one day of defence. And then uh, the last day was putting it all together, attack v defence. And, and then finishing off with a, with a touch tournament. Brilliant. The kids that are doing that camp are so, so lucky. They are in a very, very good hands. Because looking at your career, you were in an all black. Then you played for Northampton. And then you went to France and played for Bordeaux-Bègle in 2011 and 2014. Tell me more about your French experience. Well, first of all, when I, when I left Northampton, I really, another English club wanted me, but I fancied a, a, a complete change. And when Bordeaux came up as an option, I said to my wife, we need to look at this because it really excites me, something new. It's like a you know a, a new challenge. And being in a different country, you have to leave what you've done behind and just earn your respect and, and, and earn your jersey in, in a different country. And I was ex- always have been excited about that. So when we went to Bordeaux to visit, I had such a good feeling and it just I just connected with the with the club straight away and said, That's where we want to go. So and I knew the top fourteen rugby was a very exciting tournament. And I wanted to be a part of that and experience what French rugby was about. And that was a great learning curve. Very, very tough, but very exciting and great time working with a lot of the, the Bordeaux big uh, players back in those days. Yes, Andy John had a really, really good time as well. Because in 2011, this is when Bordeaux joined the top 14. Before that, they were in the lower league. So you started really at the beginning. Yes, and I think when when they talked to me about signing, they said they wanted someone with a bit of experience to help their their team because they were in a in the playoff of the Pro D and they said they could be going up if they win. And literally, when I signed, not long after they won, so that was really exciting. And it was a great uh, great club to be a part of of a journey where we we're you know trying to confirm our spot in the top four, fourteen, and, and hold on and and develop and get better so we could progress up that ladder. And it was. You know, a lot of the players we had were quite a lot of youngsters, but also had some senior players. So 
ideally the mix was great and we managed to develop a good culture and, and do really well. Brilliant, brilliant. And what were the major differences? So you played in New Zealand, you played for the Saints, and then in La Belle France, what were the major differences between those three? Well, first of all, being, being, a, being a Kiwi in New Zealand, I mean, it's, it's, it's your passion as soon as you're born to play rugby and the excitement of maybe one, one day the dream of being an All Black is, 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 is really, really high. And I was no different. I was like, just like everyone else. I think growing up in New Zealand, they, we play such a, an expansive game of rugby and it's a lot of it is about beating people with footwork skills and good running lines. And I think to this, this day, they're, they're still showing that they're, that they're right up there with the best, if not the best, you know, about knowing how to move the ball around quickly and, and play expansive rugby. But that comes down to a lot of good skill work, fitness and knowing players around you and, and culture. And when I came to England, the style of rugby was very different. It was all about trying to run through people and over people and play a tighter game. It wasn't so expensive. But I came to New England because of Wayne Smith, who was the All Black coach, and he picked me for the All Blacks. So I knew coming to that club would be trying to develop and play a more um, expensive game. And I was part of that um, team and culture that was trying to turn things around and play a lot more exciting game and, and develop with, with, with the times. And then again, going to France, you know, they play such a great game of rugby as well and the skill levels are very, very high. I mean, I was part of the French all-black team that lost to France in the 99 World Cup. I was on the bench and, you know, to see how they played that second half, come back and score 31 points to, to win it was just unbelievable. So... Again, being over there, there's got still got so much natural talent in France. But it was it was it was good to be a part of the of a younger, non-experienced group and help develop the the culture of working hard off the yeah. field to transfer on the field. Exactly, because I, I believe as well. So 2013, so 2014, you retired as a player, but you became the skills coach for the Bordeaux rugby team. Yes, yeah, I got I got asked to come and join, and I was very excited about that prospect. And knowing the boys already, and and just what high potential we had, it was, it was great to be a part of the coaching team with Rafi Benares and Joe Worsley and Emil Intermac to to develop the team. It was really exciting for me, and it was an easy transition uh, for me to do so. Oh, amazing, amazing! And then you transferred uh, your skills to Bristol Bears. Yes, so I had an opportunity to head back to England through Pat Lamb, who I knew and played against many a times and with a few times. When he said what he was trying to develop back here with Bristol because they were in the championship then and they really wanted to progress and create that culture and that hard work ethic and, and want to do something big in the future. And that really excited me to be a part of that vision for a club. And it was, it was a great three years I had there. And one thing I really have to ask you, what do you think about the top 14? Do you think is more brutal than the Callagher Premiership in the UK, in England? In all honesty, I, I think both of, them, both of them are very very equal now. You know, I think because both, both teams now, and I think all over the world, trying to play a lot more expensive rugby. But I do think in France, that some of the... the the forwards are very, very big and very strong, you know, and they're talented. But again, here, same again in England. I mean, the recruitment process, they can get players from all over the world. So all teams now these days and squads are very, very strong. So I think most teams are trying to play a great style of rugby at the moment. And, and all it's just like a game of chess. You know, each team, each week, you've got to have a different plan to try and approach the game with. But I think most of the day, most of the time, it comes down to how you are as a team and how your culture is and develop your way of playing and having that trust and 
belief that if we stick to our systems and our process and believe in each other and work hard for each other, we can be any team no matter what they bring. So, you know, but it's 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 great seeing how uh, both both sides of it work and I've been a part of them all, which has been outstanding. What did you prefer in your career, playing in New Zealand, playing in the UK or France? I know it's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, I had I had great tests in in all countries, and I and I love being a part of all those different cultures because it really helped me as a person to develop and as a player. But in all honesty, um, the best place I thought was for was for me growing up was what was definitely in, in New Zealand. The type of rugby that they play over there was very very expensive, and it was really exciting. Who did you play uh, along with? When I was back in, in Waikato in the Chiefs, I played along the likes of, oh, who would many people know? Well, Jonah Lomu. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. You played with Jonah Lomu. Yes, I was very fortunate to play with Big Jonah. Eric Rush, Frank Barnes, Walter Little, back in the day, Frano Botica. Many, many big big names who also played in the in the All Blacks. And, you know, I was, I was, I was very lucky because when you're in the Chiefs, you, you mix mixed regions and we're able to play with some some of, some of the elite. But again, it was all the players, even our guys from Waikano that we were brought up with, we had a strong culture and all of us were pushing for that high All Black status, you know, but it was it, it was tough. But it, that's what, that's all yeah. tough. So what do you make of Les Bleus? Do you think they may be more lucky <laughs> to win the 2023 Cup because three times they were finalists, but always the bride, never the... No, sorry. Always the bridesmaid, but never the bride. <laughs> I think well, if there's any time, any time that they could win it would, would certainly be this 2023 World Cup because the rugby that they're playing in the top 40 now is very, very good. You know, and it just showed for them to have just, you know, all the French teams that were playing in the playoffs and then in the finals of the of the Champions Cup, and then also Montpellier winning the Challenge Cup is 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 making a statement. You know, their rugby is definitely on a high, and two or two years out to the World Cup, they're going to be uh, very excited to to have more players develop and, and push for their international status, which is only going to make the culture and, and the team in general a lot stronger. So, you know, I'm excited to go back over to to France and and and, and be a part of that culture and, and help develop and improve. And what do you make about uh, uh, Bordeaux, Bordeaux-Bègle now? Yes, very good. I mean, I've been for a few changes and I think at times, you know, you, you have to have change. And then when you do implement change, you've got to try and develop a culture where everyone works and believes in each other and is on the same vision. And they certainly look to be on that, on that boat at the moment. And, you know, they're playing some great rugby. And again, they've done awesome work to get into the playoffs and from playoffs you know any team can win whether you're number one or or number six on the table it doesn't matter once you get the playoffs rugby it's it's all one game after another you know who who takes their chances on the day and makes minimal mistakes can will, will be the winner and it might only come down to that one chance and if you don't quite take it you know, you're going to end up on the other end but it's going to be very exciting either way because there's some great teams playing some outstanding rugby so it's going to be exciting to watch And they have done a healthy position. They are currently ranked number six. And they've got some um, international playing with them. Mathieu Jalibert, who have been trying to get onto my podcast for many months. Jefferson Poirot used to be the captain yes. of Les Bleus. Cameron Walkie. Boys were, were, were youngsters when I was at Bordeaux and they had some great talent back then. So to see them transfer and to come into the international players that they are now was brilliant. And yes, in terms of the development, you know, Bordeaux is a good club to help uh, their, their younger players progress. 
Is that yes. correct? Yes, and I think that's important in every club. You've got to work with your juniors and 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 develop them through the same way you do with the seniors because they're the people you need to look to to keep pushing the senior squad, you know, to, to keep them honest and, and to create that culture that, you know, I've got to work hard every day. Every day you've got to work hard. You've got to restart again and train like you want to play. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And what is your best memory as a rugby player? Oh, geez, I've got several, but would have yes, to be <laughs> would have to be well making the all, well making the New Zealand Sevens team for Commonwealth Games and winning two gold medals, making the Maori All Blacks, and then also the ultimate goal was to make the All Blacks. So those three was a pinnacle of, of of my goals that I wanted to achieve, and I was I was lucky enough to do so. Oh, uh, that's that's brilliant. So something to bear in mind. Are you planning to write your autobiography one day? Because there are so many players, ex-players, are have written theirs. You know, so is it something because you've got so many experience? You've got the the New Zealander experience, the French experience, the uh, English experience. It's something maybe in yeah. your style. No, I agree. I agree. I, I, I certainly should. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll be your agent. <laughs> Let's talk. Yes, talk, let's talk. And I've noticed that everybody knows you in the world of rugby. So I'm very pleased I've met you. And uh, I know your French is still not bad because we practice a little bit when we met. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I wish you all the best in, in your camp. And uh, one very last question. Would you like to go back to coach in a top 14 club? We got so much, uh, so much great experience, you know. Yep. Well, I tell you what. Tell me. I've just signed on last Saturday to yeah. to be skills and kicking coach for Montpellier. <gasps> so happy! It's such a good bunch of guys, and I really like um, Philippe because he's so human. You know, he yeah. has such such a tough, I mean, such a hard time, and is very polite, very civil, and he likes people who have a big smile, just like yes. you and me. And it's been a pleasure speaking to you. I know. Indeed. I hope I can Indeed. visit you. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you ever so much. You take care. Merci beaucoup. À bientôt. Merci. Au revoir. Au revoir. I've got a special guest. I've got Robbie. Robbie Nock. Robbie, can you tell me more about you? Hi, Veronique. Nice to talk to you. Nice to uh, be invited onto your wonderful podcast. Yeah, I'm a Welshman living in Paris. I commentate top 14 rugby what, for the last 11 years. Seems like a lifetime already, but, uh, you know, I still get as much fun out of plunging into French rugby as I did the first season. And, yeah, I do a couple of matches each weekend, so I'm looking forward to round 26 to uh, complete the regular season before all of the playoffs leading to the final, of course, with the Black Eyed Peas. I saw that, you know, they call it Pep. <laughs> Yes, Pep. Maybe I could call French Rugby Connection at FCR, FCR. I don't think it would sound the same, but I yeah, I saw that a major, major coup. I mean, yes, yeah, will be fun. Yeah, there's been there's been some interesting concerts in the past, but uh, I think that uh, the Black Eyed Peas. I mean, it's going to be virtual. They'll be playing from Miami, but it's still really nice to you know have them up on the big screens, and you know, there's not going to be. It's not going to be a full um, packed out stadium at the Stade de France, but at the end of the day, I think that, you know, it just adds a little bit of electricity to a high octane situation at the Stade de France, you know, with the Brenners up for grabs. Yes, definitely. And the Brenners mean so much. So, Robbie, one word. How would you describe this season 2021 rugby in the top 14? One word. Oh, one word. Eclectic. Yes. Crazy, I would say. Yeah, crazy, crazy, entertaining. Surprising? 
there's a great word in France. I love this word. It's called loufoque. Loufoque is just like sort of, you know, it's like crazy, isn't it, at the end of the day? But it's just a great word, loufoque. Yeah, in English you say zany. Is that correct? Zany or zany? Yes. And why do you use this objective? I think that, you know, we started off with, with crowds, you know, I think we had 5,000 in the stadiums right at the very start with COVID, of course, you know, when we entered the second wave. And then, of course, the fans got taken out of the stadium. On the other side of Christmas, we, of course, saw Montpellier, who were completely immersed by a run of really bad results. We actually saw teams like La Rochelle and Toulouse playing mm -hmm. some fantastic rugby, playing some good rugby in Europe as well. Mm -hmm. and, and Bordeaux calmly just uh, simmering along and, and finding their feet. Rassing, we're, we're in the mix as well. And then, of course, we get to the other side of, of Christmas and we just see which of the teams who were really, really firing on all cylinders. And uh, La Rochelle's run in the, in the, at the start of the year really stood out from the crowd. Just really moving to the top and, 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 and jostling with Toulouse. And, and then Claremont all of a sudden turned up and we're going, of course they're going to be there, Claremont. I mean, you know, they're always there. The Yellow Army are always like sort of, you know, bullish. They will not stand down. Frank Azemer announces the fact that he's going to be leaving at the end of the season. And we're saying, yeah, this is a rightful move and statement by uh, the boys from Marcel Michelon. And, and they actually turn up and, and, and string together some great results and put themselves in the top six. So I think all in all... Uh, you can say that it has been a little bit crazy, uh, besides the fact that Ajan, who didn't start off very well right from the start and, you know, of course, got relegated quite early on in the season. And then Breve moving up as well. I mean, there's been a lot of musical chairs in the middle. I mean, who would have thought that Stade Francais would have just nudged themselves into the sixth position, having looked at some of the results that they've actually had? For me, that's absolutely mental. Gonzalo Cazada, you know, working his magic once again. He, of course, lifted them to the Brennus a few years ago before leaving and then having, you know, that, that crazy period where they obviously, you know, had the, the South Africans running the show and it really didn't work. Um, change of presidents and, of course, you know, things started to move in the right direction with Hans-Peter Wiel. So... I just think that we've seen so many chopping and changes. The reference to Montpellier is if, you know, Xavier Gabajosa moving out and Philippe Saint-André moving into the role of, 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 of head coach, but also, you know, keeping LSL and, and the other guys. And, you know, it's worked out quite well for them because they got, you know, they managed to win the trophies. And then all of a sudden the terrace is open in France and we can go out and celebrate, but not in great numbers, socially distancing, of course. So I think that, you know, it's, it's been a very entertaining season, but it's also been a little bit difficult you know for the mind to get your head around what's been going on with the musical chairs absolutely and if we look at the uh, the season that got interrupted after weekend 17 because of the covid so much the better for Stade Francais because they were lagging at the bottom of the top 14 but however Bordeaux was at the top so Who knows where it could have led, you know, things would have been entirely different. So the best surprises for you. So you mentioned Brive is doing well, you know, they play musical share. They are safe to play in top 14, which is great news for them. Montpellier, my goodness. Montpellier, <laughs> I don't know what happened, you know. Uh, I had a chat with Philippe Saint-André last week and with Alex Lozowski. So obviously COVID did impact a lot. Other factors on the restructure, the staff and so on. And the, the team seems to be gelling. But uh, what do you make about the other teams that you felt were really, you know, um, created some surprising 
Well, I, I'm a bit disappointed with Poe, and I, I, I think that they got Sebastian Pilicon, I think his name is, who's come from the French setup, of course, and from Marcusiki. He's coming, but he's coming a little bit too late. I think that you need time to get things moving, and he's moved into his position and his role as the head coach, but he started on the, off on the 1st of May. Now, talking with um, Paddy Sullivan, who's been working with, with the section Palawas uh, ever since Simon Mannix was down there, so they had big ambitions coming up into the top 14. Now they find themselves, you know, really struggling, and on, on the verge of playing that playoff match, that dreaded playoff match against the losing team in the final of the Pro D2. A little bit disappointing because you see what Poe have got and they've, they've got a really good system that's been put into place with some great players, but they just still... And Comrade Smith, you know, working behind and, and Paul Tito, they've, they've got some wonderful international and celebrated players of former greats who are now into the coaching system, trying to groom some of the youngsters through the academy and, and, and bring them to the fore. And they still haven't managed to get some of those right results. They've been unable to really you know, complete and, and gain management at the very end to, to actually sign off the, the winning contracts at the, in the final 10 minutes. It's always quite complicated. So I'm a little bit disappointed to see Pods all the way down there. Byron have showed bits and bursts of, you know, rearing their head and producing those right results. I think the win against Toulouse on the back of their victory in Europe at Twickenham was a, you know, major surprise for us. At the same time, we saw a team that was basically full of players we haven't really seen too much of, of course, because the, you know, the, the A players were being rested. And I remember, Robbie, I think at the beginning of the season, they won against, was it Racing or Stade Francais? That was, wow, <laughs> what's happening down there? What have they been eating? Am I yeah, correct? Something in, something in the water, right? Very, yes. Very <laughs> happening down in the Basque country. We know that they can sort of, you know, they're the, the big, strong boys. They, they, they've got great reputation and history and culture. They'll, they'll rise up from, you know, the, the, the doldrums of, uh, of French rugby and say, right, okay, now's the time to fight for our lives. And they can produce wins like that. Absolutely. It's, it's a little bit disappointing because Yannick Brew had a young team. He's, he's brought them through and he's, He's, he's he, you know, fought those battles and, and, and to beat Racing was absolutely incredible. And I think that you know, they're a little bit unlucky to be in that third, 11th, 12th position, of course, fighting for that, you know, to avoid that battle. But think about it. If, for example, in the Pro D2 final, Beirits lose against USAP, Perpignan, and Bayonne, Get over, they get leapfrogged by the section Palawas. What will that create? That will create a playoff final between Biritz and Bayonne. Mm. We all know what that means. That is not just rivalry, that is bitter rivalry of the biggest standards, of course. They nearly merged together. I mean, they nearly merged together. There was rumors in the past that they would actually collab, you know, come together, just like Stade Fonsey and Racing. Didn't happen, of course, but I don't think it will ever happen because there's a little bit of friction between those guys, a little bit of a plate tectonics that could produce, a, you know, a bit of an explosion. But imagine that. Anyway, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it is, uh, you know, feasible option interesting interesting yeah can't wait to see uh... you know we'll we'll see what happens in the final of course and then afterwards the losing team will obviously play the weekend afterwards mm -hmm. so it, it's either Biarritz or Perpignan so Perpignan haven't been up in the top 14 for what three seasons I think so they'll be looking to try and you know get themselves back into the top flight and and Biarritz of course you know it, it's been quite a while so I mean It would be quite extraordinary. So we'll, we'll keep our eyes on that because that's going to be massive Friday and then the weekend afterwards to, uh, you know, the, the, the playoff match to see if the losing 
losing team Friday will take on either Po or Bayern. But let's talk about Prodi too. My heart, being a Breton, <laughs> got broken by the try scored by by Gavin Stark. Unfortunately for me, for the Breton, especially was taking place in Stade de la Rabine, in, right in Vannes, and you had not only the town, the city behind them, the full Brittany, the full Celtic <laughs> countries, but these sort of things happen, unfortunately. So until next year... The rugby in Breton, and I think that the, the club, I've been up there to the Stade de la Rabine, you know, when you're playing the, the Breton Cornemuse and everybody's like really, really, re really enveloped in the whole atmosphere. I mean, you know, it reminds me being a Welshman, being back home and having... You know the the, the singing and and the, and the stadiums moving, and you, you know it, it gives you goosebumps basically because you're in that wonderful environment of a of a, of a club that really get behind their team, and I think the van are very much like that. And it's a shame that they haven't managed to pursue their quest to move into the top fourteen or at least get into the playoff final, uh, because it would be really interesting, you know, to have a team from Breton because we don't have too many teams from the northwest. La Rochelle being obviously, you know, the, the team that we talk about. But apart from that, I think it was only Lille who managed, nearly got into the Pro D2, but because of financial issues, they, 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 they mm. couldn't move up into the second division. That was about six, six years ago now. So we're lacking a few teams, you know, Britain, Normandy, etc. Rouen with Richard Hill, they've done a good job. But of course, you know, they, they haven't managed to push up into the top 14. It's all about getting... You know, also a bit of financial backing. You can't make miracles with players who are not getting groomed in the right way. You have to have some fine, kind of finance. COVID's obviously had a negative effect, but the but the belief and the courage and the will to to improve and get better is most definitely present to Van and and you know they, they with Spitzer. Though I think that they'll move forward. He's he's a great coach and they believe in him and they've got this far already. Pursue. Knock on the door of the top 14 and get yourself out there. Haul yourself up there if you can and, and flick away those other guys who obviously, you know, normally flock into those positions and try and uh, barge their way into the top flight. Indeed. Let's see what I can do through my French rugby connections or fr French football connections uh, via, you know, the uh, billionaire that own Kerrings. He owns Le Stade René as well. His name is, I think... It's yeah, François Pinot. Okay. François-Henri Pinot, who is married to Salma Hayek. Yeah, that's right. So he's got the, uh, what is it, the Louis Vuitton Museum, which is in Paris, the west of Paris, I think. You know, the new one, which is extraordinary. Oh, and, right. Uh, yeah, 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 he's... Uh, and he's, yeah, he's been in... His name circulates around some of these big deals, you know, to, to make sure that some of the, the historical institutions of French sport and, and, and culture, of course, you know, stay afloat during these troubled times. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So let's see what I can do. <laughs> Because if you look yeah, at... Pull your strings, Veronique. Pull, your, pull the strings. Ah, it's all about a Breton connection in that case, you know. But another thing, you know, I, I've noticed as well, you know, clubs such as Racing 92, Bordeaux, Bordeaux Blegle, Montpellier, I've been heavily financed by some millionaires slash billionaires, you know, such as Altred, which I met uh, two weeks ago, really, really nice person. Oops, sorry, I dropped a few names here. <laughs> And also... Don't tell anyone, don't worry, I won't tell anyone. 
<laughs> and also, you know, Laurent Marty, you know, is a very well-known and successful businessman who has invested uh, a massive amount of uh, of money, you know, in in Bordeaux Bègles. Plus, obviously, you know, the the owner of Racing ninety two who really, really wants to have that elusive European star. And I really hope for him it will happen one day. Jackie Lorenzetti. That's all right. I'm sure there might be more, but it does it, it does help, you know, to have some cash injections. But having said that, you know, some, some clubs who don't have that much financial investment, you know, still, you know, are in the top 14 fighting and... With, with their guts, with their passions, with their fans. When I was speaking with Alex Lozowski, you know, the, the other day and all the players, they did say to me, you know, that they really, really, really miss the fans, you know, the atmosphere there. The I know for Brief, for instance, I think they're public, where I voted as one of the best, the best supporters in the top 14 last year. And yeah, I, I can't wait to see some 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 spectators in 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 the audience. Let's let's speak about uh, Castres. What do you make about Castres? Well, Castres are always a team that can you know knock on the door of qualification. They're one of those teams who they're probably not in the right place where they want to be, but they always find a way of clambering up into the top six, eight at the right time. They go into the the the, the final round with a chance of qualifying. Now, it's not an ideal situation for them because they're not in a primary position. So they're not in the top six, but they are in a position where they could potentially have other results fall well for them. I don't think they've had a, a fantastic season, to be honest with you, Veronique. I think that they've, I think that they've, they've, they've got some good results on, on the way, but they will probably be a little bit disappointed that they didn't manage to really produce the, the right results at the right time. But still, with Uda uh, Payetta and and Cockcourt and, you know, what they've actually, what they're capable of doing. They're still a, a, a dangerous team. They, they're probably really a little bit annoyed. They probably don't believe that they can actually do it. But as we know with Castro Olympique, they fight till the very end. It's a town with a population of what? I think it's something like 60,000. So, I mean, everybody watches rugby in Castro. You know, it is a, it's, it's a rugby town and, you know, everybody will be behind the team going into their final clash. I'm just trying to um, have a look and see who they're actually playing. I think they're playing, they are home to Toulon. So they could potentially eliminate Toulon from the equation, get some points and sort of, you know, knock on the door, looking at what Stade Francais are going to do. And Stade Francais are away to Bayonne. Now, of course, if Stade Francais lose, Bayonne win their game, they're safe. If Stade Francais lose, that's them taken out of the equation. If Castro being the home team in that top eight, they, they beat Toulon, eliminate Toulon, and then find themselves qualified. So anything is actually possible. That's um, so Clermont, exciting. Anything can happen this weekend. No, I'm, I'm just like sort of, you know, looking at all of the permutations <laughs> and trying to understand what's going on. It is absolutely, it's, it's, a, it's a thrilling finale and it, the top 14 doesn't get better than this. When you know that there's something going on at the bottom, you know that they're battling out for the two places at the top. And then in the middle, you've got a whole bunch of teams. It's only the top four who know exactly that they're, they're safe, but where they're going to be at the end of the day in terms of home, you know, direct through to the semifinals or into the playoffs, we'll have to wait and see. Claremont are in a precarious position. I'm privileged to, I'll, I'll be commentating 
that game this weekend. Claremont, of course, with a, with a tricky game, and they'll, they're at home to La Rochelle. La Rochelle will want to try and win that to secure that second place in the, at the top, which means automatic qualification for the semi-finals. If Claremont lose, if Toulon lose and Stade Francais lose, who's going to be sneaking into the sixth spot? Your team that you asked me about initially, Castro Olympique. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, that is absolutely nuts. C'est la folie. C'est vraiment la folie. I mean, oh. you know, I, so, so exciting. One team which is definitely safe is Brive. I have to say, you know, I've been, I had a Simon Gillingham on my podcast last year. Really, really nice guy. Very approachable, passionate for Brive and England rugby as well. Because somebody asked him, so when you watch England versus France, who do you support? He said, well, you know, England, of course. It's like me, you know, if I watch <laughs> France versus England, of course, I will support France. But I have to say, if there is one player that really, really played well, put all the team together, is Saïd Aresh, the captain. And I'm pleased, you know, he's staying. No, that's really good. He's such an emblematic leader down there. Brief, it's all beautiful around there. They've created this really nice niche and and group of, of friends who feel so comfortable down there, the Protective Brother Club, everything that Simon has, has, has laid on with his staff is fantastic and they really enjoy themselves there because the package deal in general is really, really good. So they work for each other, they're a family, and you know, although the rugby can be a little bit ugly at times, and everybody will agree with me on that case, you can obviously understand that you know that they've got that fighting a Grincher spirit that enables them to survive in difficult conditions. And they've survived very well this year because they went on a very, very interesting run. The scrum was solid. The play was simple, but they used the brute force. They also get it tactically right, and they really bullied a lot of the big, big units in the top 14 this season. So Def bravo. Yeah, bravo, definitely. Yeah, well done to Simon and the rest of the coach and and of course you know the, the the players like i think there is a yeah hayden thompson stringer who will stay another two years there so uh tell me about what you thought about lyon lyon i was quite surprised i thought they would have they are right now they're ranked ten, nine i thought they would have been a bit better because they got some stellar players you got bastaro they have you know some some players that play for les bleus and and so on so uh what do you think? What are your thoughts about Lyon? I think that Pierre Mignoni has a, a wonderful team there and he's, he's done really good with his recruitment. He's um, he's a very shrewd coach. They've been, they've been hit so badly by injuries. You mentioned Bastero. Bastero, you know, he did his cruciate ligament, so he's been completely eliminated from the season. But mm -hmm. the list is so, so long with mm -hmm. all of the players and they try and dig deep. They've got the players like Charlie Nyatai and, you know, they've got Patrick Sobella, Isaac Rodder. They've got some mm -hmm. great, great players in there. But the players that they don't have because they've been sidelined through injury is really, really it's 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 blunted their 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 ability to actually fight back. They had a really poor run just after Christmas, and I think they had the worst run in twenty twenty one at the start. Um, only pulling back a great victory over Toulouse, I believe, which was basically a home game down at the Matmut. And they managed to overhaul the team who were at the top of the table with a good, strong team that had been picked by Hugo Mola. So, but it, it's it, it, the consistency hasn't been there. They, they, they just dropped down the pecking order. And, you know, what, what can you put that down to? You can put that down to injuries you can put that down to you know the belief there's confidence there are all these elements that come into the equation and 
it's it's really tricky, you know, in the top 14 because every game has its obstacles. You know, home game or away game. You know, if you if your mindset's not right and you're playing at home and you come up against the team who are in the top four, you know, you could quite easily fall because they can catch you out and bring a really strong team and maybe they've got a uh, a team that's packed full of players who aren't injured. So um, very disappointing for Pierre Mignoni. Must be really really um, upset. But I think that he basically. He threw in the towel when you saw his reaction last weekend, realizing that you know they had shot themselves in the foot. I think they lost to Clermont, I believe, last weekend, and that that basically meant that it was you know it's the end, it's the end to it. So mm-hmm. they know that they're not going to push for it, but they'll come flying back. But he might have to just you know get his head down, work hard at Leon Lilou, and get themselves into a good position, and then you know fight for the Brennus next season because they got nothing to fight for this year. And number seven currently, Stade Francais. What's your thought about Stade Francais? How well they've done? It's been a bit of like a roller coaster for them, I think. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's a typical Stade Francais. Right? <laughs> Hot and cold, show if what. Their home form has been a bit, it's, they, they, they always relied on their home form. You know, that was, that was the only thing that mattered really. You know, they didn't travel at all. Their results... No, I'm, I'm actually, that's not true. Their home form was diabolical last season. It's got a little bit better this season. They're doing things a little bit better. They found they've got some good results in there and that they're fighting harder and they've got some good players. I think having Gail Ficou, you know, was, was great. But of course, he's moved on now. So, and Dante is moving to La Rochelle. There's a whole big change coming in, but they're also bringing in lots of recruits. So it, it's going to look better for them next season. But, you know, once again, Stade Francais are either really hot or really cold. They, For once, they've been a little, just in the middle a little bit. But even the start to their, start to their campaign was, was, was okay, and then it dipped, and then they came back. So I, I, they're just in the position that they should be. This season, but I think the next season they'll probably rise up and be challenging for the Brennus because it's about time. And they know that under Gonzalo Casada, they can find the right energy, the right belief, then they can get themselves into a position uh, and fight for the Brennus. And again, it's a team which is owned by a Swiss billionaire as well. I think I want to see some ROI. <laughs> <laughs> as big like a marketeer and I really want to see, you know, some silverware there. So let's speak about uh, briefly about the top six right now and tell me about all for our listeners, many ramifications, so many situations that can happen. Okay, so for me, when I look at Stade Toulouse, Stade Toulouse, they are playing against Bordeaux Beg, I believe. And I mean, both teams have qualified, right? They played each other in the in the in the semi-finals of of, of, of course the the European Cup. Uh, yes. So there's going to be a little bit of rivalry there, and I think that Urios would love to get one over Stad Toulouse, and so they'll be looking for a win. They won't be able to move above them, of course, because they haven't got a better points tally. But a win for Urios would be a great thing for them. They'll want to go for it because uh, you know they'll throw absolutely everything at this Toulouse team. But I mean, who can beat Toulouse this year? Really, when I look at when I look at what they're capable of doing, La Rochelle a little bit unlucky in the European final, of course, you know, with Bartia. Yes. So it would have been a different game if you had stayed on. But who can beat Toulouse when they start moving? Okay, I'll answer that. A team who've got 15 players on the field, who are disciplined, who can work really hard, who have played against them, who stifle their 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 their, their chances of getting the quick ball out. We're really quick around the loose, really annoying 
and don't allow the fast ball to come out. I, I think that, you know, La Rochelle are capable of doing that. Racing are capable of doing that. But, you know, Bord Union Bordeaux-Berg, do they have the X factor in their squad? That's, a, that's the question that I ask myself sometimes. Lacking a few extra players that would really reinforce their chances of really rattling Stade Toulouse. And I think that Toulouse will probably win that one. If La Rochelle play Stade Toulouse in the final, then La Rochelle will win, I think. I agree with you because La Revanche est un plat qui se mange froid. Revenge ah, is a dish best served cold. And they were so, so close. And I was at Twickenham actually on Friday evening and, and Saturday. I was so close to Ronan Ogara. He was cool as cucumber, but a few times you could see frustration. But, you know, c'est la vie. They, they played well with 14 men anywhere towards the end. And Toulouse wasn't that that spectacular I have to say they, no, no they... but they do they do what they do and you know I, the, the game plan and everything have been worked around you know how to how to deal with Stade Toulouse and the matches that they had and I mean it's just a it's an incredibly strong team with depth Stade Toulouse and La Rochelle really done their homework and Ronan O'Gara is such an amazing coach and he's brought so much to La Rochelle working with John O'Gibbs he'll take over next season And I wish him all, all the best because he is a fantastic coach who uses savoir-faire to become, you know, one of the best in the business. Because, you know, having spent a little bit of time over in New Zealand as well, I mean, you know, he's, he's sharpened his act and he's going to be very, very strong in what he does in the top 14 next season. So if, if it doesn't work out this year, then it will work out next year. And his French oh. is pretty good, I have to say. I heard him speaking French. It's not bad. I mean, I raise my beret for him because he's making an effort. I, I even can understand him, you know. But I remember once he got some flag from women because I think three years ago he was still playing for Racing 92. And he did say in passing to a journalist, he said, oh, I never speak about uh, rugby to my wife because she will never understand it. And whoa, <laughs> he did create an uproar among female rugby supporters and journalists and to know, hey, hang on, hang on. So if one day <laughs> I managed uh, to speak with him, I said, hey, it's, it's, did you teach your, your, your wife now? I mean, this is, come on, rugby is not that complicated. There are rules of you, of course, that you need to, uh, to be aware of. But uh, <laughs> anyway, that was just a little it's, story. It's, it's, it's Ronan O'Gara humor, you know, I mean, you know, they, they, they enjoy a laugh down there. So it was just a joke. But of course, you know, it can be misconstrued. I know, you have to be very cautious what you said to a journey. It's happened to me a few times by having some of my wordings completely uh, taken out of context as well. So fair enough. So I've got two last questions. Which games have you been the most enthralled with this season that made you jump out of your seats? That's a difficult... Right. That's a really tricky one. Oh, you can name uh... two, okay? I give you two. Or maybe three. Right. Three, I'm going to be generous. Three. <laughs> Let me just have a little think about it. This think, season uh, only, you know, I'm focusing on 2021. I mean, for me, I have to say, I'm going to help you out here. Um, saying the Montpellier team lifting that elusive, that very well-earned challenge cup trophy in Twickenham last Friday for me meant a lot because they were in such in a dire situation mid-January and you know they were they they were even thought a few weeks ago about them being relegated you know I think they 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 regrouped together they got the support from Philips did say he wanted the players to have fun to have a smile on their faces 
And yeah, seeing, you know, Saint-André and Moed Altrad and, and the, the, the team, you know, lifting that trophy that was, was probably one of the highlights of the top 14. Yeah, I think that Montpellier did a great job. And, you know, I think that they needed that. It was very much, a, you know, right, let's change our strategy. Let's change and simplify our game and take away the more complicated and intricate styles of play and make it a really easy and work on the basics. And they, they did that really well. And I think that that was important for them because they finally found what they were good what they were what they were good at and a very strong defense obviously enabled enabled them to actually go ahead and lift the trophy that was that was brilliant the rush defense the bringing the you know some of those really strong defenders coming up quickly and and, and really hitting your opponents before they can actually get the ball out they worked really hard at that you know and and they made a lot of turnovers they worked really hard at the breakdown and it was strategically right and you know you have to give them plenty of credit and they qualify of course for the champions cup next season because of that And uh, that in itself is a, you know, a fantastic, you know, result, I, I suppose, if you want to look at it like that. For me, I think that there's been some, some, some intriguing rugby played, I think, at the top of the, uh, of the table when, when you actually look at, you know, some of the battles between La Rochelle and Toulouse and Racing. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's been, it's been very, very entertaining. And then, of course, you see teams like Toulouse, you know, In the build-up to their European Cup final, they, they field a, a mediocre team and then they lose like 44 points to 10 to Toulon down at Felix Mile, which is really disappointing. Um, Grieve losing at home against Stade Francais, you know, just in round 23, I think was really entertaining as well because, you know, they, they lost by three points and Stade Francais put themselves into the top six by beating, you know, Grieve in their own backyard. So there's there's been some really interesting fights When you least expect them, I think, all season. You mentioned Bayon. Bayon winning at home and, and, and beating the, the Parisians of Racing was one thing that I, you know, you didn't think would expect just because they've been constantly really good, you know, with Finland, Finn Russell and Kurtley Beale coming in and uh, a very, very, and Gibus, you know, the, the young fly half coming in as well. Absolutely incredible. So I don't really want to pick out a match in particular. Yes. I want to talk about. You know, the, the fervor and the, the luxury of being able to commentate top 14 rugby week in, week out and, and seeing the, ve the variety of players and the variety of styles and the different coaches. Because for me, the top 14 is the most entertaining rugby league in the world. And there are so many colorful characters in terms of uh, coaches such as Rowan. Ogara, Christophe Urios, who doesn't mince his words, who called a spade a spade, <laughs> who can't speak a word of English, by the way, otherwise he was happy to come on my podcast as well. And then others, yeah, it's all fun. They're really, really busy. Just, I you know, I'm very conscious of the time. I I'm going to let you go, Robbie. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed the French Rugby Connection podcast with moi. Mike Pierce should be back next week and will review the top 14. And I will be speaking with more guests. Au revoir. La pendule fait tic-tac, tic-tic. Les oiseaux du lac pic-pac, pic-pic. Glou-glou-glou font tous les dindons. Et la jolie cloche ding-ding-dong. Mais boum. Quand notre cœur fait beau, tout 
avec lui, dit boum, et c'est l'amour qui s'éveille.